Hello, and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you ideas about how to be, you guessed it, happier. This week, we'll talk about why it's often helpful to give people something specific to talk about. And we get a happiness hack from a listener about how to eliminate a common source of annoyance. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And one thing about doing a podcast together, it certainly gives us a topic of conversation. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretch, I have to say, I like talking about almost anything with you. Aw, what a good sister. <laughs> Um, so here's a quick update on about wedding readings. Uh, in episode 76, our listener Sarah asked for suggestions for great wedding readings because she had a, she was getting married soon. And we have so many great suggestions that we cannot possibly read them all on the podcast because it would take hours. Uh, so for everybody who wants to see them, I've created a PDF with some of the kind of most outstanding choices because we can't even include all of them in the PDF because it would be so long. Um, so if you would like to have that, a selection of those wedding readings, just email me at podcast at GretchenRubin.com and just write like readings or wedding readings in the in the, in the the subject line. You don't even need to uh, write anything more. Um, and I'll send that right off to you. But uh, just to give everybody a hit of a wedding reading, our own Kristen Meinzer, producer extraordinaire and bride-to-be, is going to read one of her readings. Hey, guys. Hey. Hi, Kristen. <laughs> Hi. It's fun to be on this side of the mic. And weird. <laughs> yeah, I think it's your first time that we've you've uh, come over here. <laughs> That's right. Well, thanks for inviting me on. Um, first, I want to say, Gretchen, I love your wedding reading that uh, is in your little episode, the one that uh, went out right after episode 76. It's just oh, yeah. so beautiful. We're actually oh. thinking of stealing that for our wedding also to be one of our wedding readings. Oh, excellent. Oh, I would, that would make me so happy. I love that. Oh, excellent. And uh, the other reading we're considering is called I Like You by Sandal Stoddard Warburg. And it's a very, very long piece, but we just chose a few paragraphs from it uh, that we think we're going to use. Let's hear. Let's hear it. I like you and I know why. I like you because you are a good person to like. I like you because when I tell you something special, you know it's special. And you remember it a long, long time. You say, remember when you told me something special? And both of us remember. When I think something is important, you think it's important too. We have good ideas. When I say something funny, you laugh. I think I'm funny and you think I'm funny too. Ha ha. I like you because if you find two four-leaf clovers, you give me one. And if I find four, I give you two. If we only find three... We keep on looking. Sometimes we have good luck, and sometimes we don't. And I like you because when I am feeling sad, you don't always cheer me up right away. Sometimes it is better to be sad. I like you because I don't know why, but everything that happens is nicer with you. I can't remember when I didn't like you. It must have been lonesome then. I like you because, because, because. I forget why I like you, but I do. Oh, that's, oh, that's nice. So I love that. I love that. I like oh. the end because, because, because. Yeah, and you read it really well. It's hard sometimes. A big part of the wedding reading is somebody who can read it well. So you did a very good job of reading it. Oh well, thank you, and thanks for thanks for letting me share that. <laughs> um, well, so this week our try this at home tip 
is to give people something to talk about by introducing a specific topic of conversation. Now, the problem, I would say, uh, with this Try This at Home is that it can feel kind of forced and affected to to introduce a topic. Um, and people do not always want to cooperate. But if you can pull it off, if you can really kind of direct a conversation onto a specific uh, topic, it often it ends up being more fun and more satisfying. Yeah, because I like um, doing this because you get just people's views on things in a kind of a deeper way that, than you do if you're just yes. chatting casually about stuff. Exactly. Like Gretchen, you know, last week you and I discussed the five love languages. So one night before we recorded that episode, I was out to dinner with Adam and Jack and I just said, hey, I want to at this dinner talk about the five love languages. And I, you know, so I'm going to tell you what they are and I want us to guess each other's and talk about them. And we spent a lot of the dinner talking about that one topic of conversation. And it was just fun to sort of have something we were really grabbing onto. Yeah, because I think sometimes when you're having a conversation, even if you have the best intentions, it's just sort of mild chit chat. Um, and it's hard to get to a place where you're having sort of a meaningful exchange, even if that's what both people want. And I've noticed this because my subjects, when I'm writing a book, like if I'm like, saying I'm at a dinner party and I'm sitting next to somebody, a lot of times that can be a hard place to find a topic of conversation mm. if you don't automatically have something very obvious in common. But for me, I can always be like, well, I'm writing a book about habits. Like, do you have a habit that you've really tried to break? Or like, what habit are you most proud of? And people love talking about their habits. And of course, I love listening to it. So I'm absolutely riveted. I'm often like pull out a notebook and start taking notes on the things they tell me. Yeah. So they're like, I'm a genius. And at last, this person recognizes me. And, and we just have a very meaningful exchange. And it's so much more fun than just saying like, oh, do you have any interesting travel plans coming up? or, you know, one of those desperate questions that you come up with. Yeah. You know, mom kind of does this. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sometimes at holiday dinners, she has this thing called table topics, which are these boxes of cards that have interesting questions on them. And they actually have different editions. They have family gathering, um, their dinner party edition, teen edition. Um, there's even, Gretchen, a happiness edition. <laughs> um, which I don't think is, I don't think you came up with, but it exists. Um, and so it's sort of things like, you know, what was your proudest moment that you remember? Or when was the time you felt confused? Or what was your favorite amusement park ride? And everyone sort of goes around and talks about this. And it's a way of one, bringing up some memories that you would never have heard from like, especially like in our case, mom and dad's past, like memories of childhood. Yeah. And he just hearing how people view things. It's really fun and interesting. And it just goes deeper than just again saying, oh, the turkey's so moist this year. Yeah. <laughs> Which we do always have that conversation. Yes, um, of course. And one of the things there is, is like a six-year-old and a 75-year-old can both answer. Yes. And everybody participates. And so it's it's nice to find that common ground. Yes. And, and this is the thing is that the research just shows, you know, overwhelmingly, and this is from ancient times to contemporary scientists, that, that relationships are the key to happiness. We need to feel close to other people. But one of the ways that we feel close to people is when we really exchange with them, when we're telling them things about us and revealing ourselves, and also they're revealing themselves 
to us. So we're learning about them. We're sharing our own thoughts. And so, um, you know, how can you love someone you don't know? And so this is a way to know somebody at a deeper level, whether that's somebody you're meeting at a dinner party for the first time. So you're having a more meaningful exchange or it's somebody that you know very well, but you're learning all the, I mean, often when, when we do this stuff, I learned stuff about mom and dad that they would never have brought up Yeah. Um, if we hadn't introduced this specific topic of conversation. So it's a way to like kind of jumpstart the, con- the connection in, in people's bonds. You know, this is making me think what I want. I want to start doing what I've heard some people do at dinner every night, which is everyone goes around and says their high low of the day. It's like, Mm. what was the best moment of the day? What was the worst moment of the day? And that just be a nice thing, because, again, it's like makes you think and share something maybe you wouldn't have otherwise. Right. Now, I can say my family would not do that. I just like that would not be a happiness booster because they wouldn't participate graciously. But I think it's a great (laughs) idea. A lot of people say it works really well for them. But and I think along the same lines, this is a reason for book clubs, because it's like we have something to talk about because we're Mm. all talking about the book and it's a jumping off place. And even if the conversation wanders very far away from the actual book, it like gets you talking at another level. It's not just chit chat, which I love chit chat, but you want to take it to a deeper level. um, And so the book can be the, the mechanism for that. Absolutely. And you can sort of just... If there's something that interests you, you could just kind of casually throw it out. And like if you're at dinner with four people and say, so, you know, like, what do you think makes a good boss? Or, you know, what advice do you have for um, trying to get a raise or whatever it may be? And, you know, people will have stuff to say because whenever anyone's asked uh, a question they always have an answer <laughs> yeah and i mean and the thing is when you're asking for advice you're asking questions like that it like it makes people tell stories it like they 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 tell their lessons learned the mistakes they made you learn from them i mean it's just a very satisfying way to connect because there's something that you're really like you're sinking your teeth into a subject that somebody's lobbed out there of course, Gretch, there are always those topics of conversation that can lead to um, major arguing um, <laughs> and battles. And, so, you know, use some caution when you do this. <laughs> yes, excellent. Yes, good advice, good advice. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. 
Okay, Gretch, it is time for a happiness hack. And I am excited to say this one comes from our hometown of Kansas City. It's from Stacy. She says, decide to park far away from your destination. I used to always circle around trying to find the closest parking spot only to spend five times longer looking for a close spot than it would have taken for me to just park near the back and walk. So now when I enter a parking lot, I don't even bother looking for a spot in the heavily congested area near the building. I just happily commit to going straight to the back and walking. Driving is stressful enough and avoiding pedestrians, people backing in and out and hunting for the best spot added unneeded stress to my errands. Plus, you get more steps in. That's a great hack. I think that's a great hack for so many reasons. One, she's right. You get more exercise. So that's really good. Another one is like there's decision fatigue. You know, like the more decisions that you make, the the harder, uh, like that just wears you out. And this way, it's just like you don't, you're like, I just park at the far end. I just go straight there. I'm not looking. I don't have to think, oh, can I fit there? Oh, can I do this? Like, oh, is that guy going to take my spot before I get there? Like a whole level of stress goes down. And she's right. It's such a small price to pay. You're, it, the, the difference between the one parking spot and the other one is so minimal. It's it's just not <laughs> worth it. And so I thought this was a great way to just and then embrace it and feel like, well, this is just this is how I do it. And it becomes your habit and it's effortless. And you've just saved yourself a lot of kind of needless irritation, annoyance. Yeah. Um, just that friction. Yeah. The other benefit is if it's someplace you go often, if you park in a not crowded area, you can usually always get basically the same spot. So you know where you're parked as opposed to having to remember, you know, P3, ILG, <gasps> you know. Yeah. Um, so that's nice too. Yeah. That's a great, I didn't even think of that. That's an excellent, that's an excellent point. Now this is something that doesn't come up a lot in my life because I'm in New York City, so I hardly have to drive. But when I'm in Kansas City or when I'm out of town or something and driving, I think this is a great idea because um, it just, it just makes your life simpler. So thank you, Stacy. And you, uh, I'm envisioning you parking on the plaza perhaps <laughs> with your, with your, with your, with your hat. <laughs> okay, Gretch, it is time for a habit strategy. What is our habit strategy this week? Right. So um, there are 21 strategies for habit change that I talk about in my book, Better Than Before. Each one is powerful and helpful. But I have to say that this strategy, the strategy of clarity, um, ironically, was one of the strategies that as I was working on better than before was the least mm. clear to me. It was one of the least obvious and one of the ones that I had to work on the hardest to kind of understand, even though it is the strategy of clarity. So what is the strategy of clarity? So the strategy of clarity is, okay, so the strategies are all the strategies you can use to make or break your habits. And the strategy of clarity is that when we're very clear with ourselves and also with other people about what we're asking of ourselves and why we're asking of ourselves, it's much easier to stick to it. Because a lot of times I found when people have trouble forming a habit or, or doing an action in general, it's because they don't have clarity. Like often they feel ambivalent. I want to do something, but then I also don't want to do it. Or like I want something, but then I also want something that conflicts with it. And or, you know, everybody says this is really important, but it doesn't really seem important to me. So I don't really know what I should do. And so there's just this this lack of clarity. And then once you get clarity, when you push yourself to clarity, then it's much clearer how to act. Like, if this is what I want, then this is what follows from it. If this is if this is what I value in the situation, then this is how I'm going to behave. And it just makes it so much easier. 
Well, what are like what are examples? I'm not sure. I'm totally getting it. See, this is the thing. It's it's hard. It's there. It's 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 not that clear. The strategy <laughs> of clarity. Um, but like I think a lot of people have been in this situation where like we have conflicting goals. We don't manage ourselves well. We often become paralyzed. And the way this comes up in everyday life is like you think, well, I want to give my all to my job, and I want to give my all to my family. Uh, I want to get more sleep. But I also want to have time each day to, like, hang out with my sweetheart, watch TV, goof off. Um, I want to spend less time in the car. Uh, I want my children to participate in many after-school activities. I want to be frugal. I want to join a gym. I want to relax when I get home from work. I want to live in a house that's clean and orderly. I want to plan for the future by saving for my retirement. But I also want to enjoy the present by traveling. So it's like, I get it. So it's like you're, yeah, you don't know, kind of you don't know what you want, what's more most important. And so you end up just kind of a mess of not really doing anything. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and both things, often what happens is both things are important. So it's not like, it's not like one thing isn't, isn't important and the other one is. It's like, they're both important. So then the question becomes, okay, like, well, then how do you deal with it? What do you do when you have two things that conflict? And now, a lot of times it's a false choice. So false choice is like I can plan for the future or I can enjoy the enjoy the present. Well, that's a false choice because probably you can figure out a way to plan for the future and enjoy the present. Yeah. So, for instance, I had a friend who was like, well, I have conflicting goals because on the weekends, I really, really like to go for these super long bike rides. But I also want to spend time with my family. Both of these are important. Both of these are important values and they seem to be in total conflict. Mm. But when I said, like, really, really think about these two things, it's a false choice. Probably you can figure out a way to go for these super long bike rides and um, spend time with family. And now he's a, he's a real morning person. So on the weekends, he gets up at 5 a.m. Mm. and he rides for six hours and then he spends the rest of the day with his family. But over and over, like once you get the clarity, then you sort of see how how you can solve problems that maybe because when you're just like, well, they're both important. So I should be doing both. But I, so you sort of feel like whatever you do is the wrong thing. But then when you really say, like, really, what am I trying to achieve here? Then you see see ways to solve problems that maybe you wouldn't have seen before. Now, one thing that like, occurs to me with this is I wouldn't say this isn't like the conflicting thing you're talking about, but like Sarah, my writing partner, she got this sort of clarity of vision. Her Alzheimer's runs in her family and she got a real clarity of vision and said, I want to do whatever it takes not to get Alzheimer's. Mm. Like that is the goal. That's the singular clarity of vision. Mm -hmm. And toward that end, I mean, she can do anything like eat specific foods. She's lost a ton of weight. She's cut certain things out of her diet. She's, you know, does mind games. It's like anything that's toward that goal, she absolutely can do because she has like clarity. Yes. And, you know, one cool thing, Gretch, that um, she had even, I mean, this is how clear she is on this goal, is at one point she was talking to her doctor about, well, my goal in life is not to get Alzheimer's. Um, and her doctor said, well, how motivated are you? And Sarah took that line, how motivated are you? And had this artist we know 
do an art piece that said how motivated are you but she wrote it backwards and sarah hung it behind her bathroom mirror oh. so when she looks in the mirror she sees it says how motivated are you in the mirror super cool um but that's a perfect example of clarity because for her the absolute clarity it like it makes everything simple for her it's kind of an abstract strategy because it is about like just thinking about what you want but it's surprising how often just having that clarity of thinking translates into action becoming much much more easy probably a good idea to write it down yes right yes so that you can see them right in front of you that's an excellent suggestion yeah drag out that yellow pad get your markers out and start making uh, a chart Now, Elizabeth, now it's time for a listener question. Um, and a reminder for any listener who has a question, uh, you can email us at podcast at GretchenRubin.com or leave a voicemail question at 774-277-9336, which you'll recall is also 77-HAPPY-336. And uh, so what, what do we hear from a listener this week? Uh, Gretchen, this week's um, listener question comes from Rochelle. She says... I have noticed this pattern in my life where the people that I care about the very most, best friends, close cousins, I have the hardest time reaching out to, and I often fail to reply to their messages for weeks or even months. And it is not because I ignore them, but because either I am feeling too vulnerable to get deep or because I cannot possibly think of adequate words to accurately describe my level of gratitude, admiration, and love. The more days that pass without responding to this person, the guiltier I feel and the harder it becomes. For these people, a casual response or check-in simply won't do like it will for less close friends or acquaintances. Any tips on how to prevent this pattern in the future and to communicate this to loved ones? Ooh, interesting. Well, that's a good question because I think a lot of people suffer from this. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Well, one thing I would say, and this is something that I use often myself, is to respond right away. And then I think if you respond right away, even if it's shorter, you're showing like, wow, that made a big impact on me. I need to respond to you right away. And then you also get over that feeling of like, I haven't responded yet. Um, And just to say like, oh, my gosh, I have so many thoughts that I want to communicate, but I just wanted to tell you right away, like how meaningful this was to me or something like that. Because I think you show people get that signal that like, oh, this hit me hard when I'm responding quickly. So I think that's one way to signal to somebody your words were very meaningful to me. Yeah, I also think she's not necessarily right when she says, you know, for these people, a casual response or check in won't do like it will for less close friends, I think part of closeness is being casual. Yeah. You know, like one of my best friends, Caroline texted me out of the blue the other day, just something totally random. And then I texted her back and that was it, you know, (laughs) but it was like, we haven't talked in like two months, but now I feel like we've connected, even though we just exchange two sentences. Yeah. Well, no, it's it's sort of the irony of feeling like, well, you're so important to me that if I write you at all, I have to write you like something long and thoughtful and therefore I won't write you anything. And so, it's, yeah, I think it's like just, right. um, it's almost like I'm so close to you that I can just, um, like without any kind of introduction or whatever, just like lob something at you and that's fine. Um, right. So I think that that's, that's true about just like, what are the expectations? It doesn't necessarily have to have, be like a big and thoughtful. I mean, that's one of the things about our update, our family update. It's the idea that it's super casual. It can be totally boring. 
And there's no expectation that anyone's going to respond to you. Because with our family updates, it's just like, I just want to tell you the little things that are going on in my life so that we don't have to write a big, thoughtful email because we're writing all these very short, boring emails. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I think another thing that could help her is like if she wants to write an answer and she feels like she has this problem for procrastination is to schedule time to answer, you know, really put it on your calendar or set a specific deadline. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of times with procrastination, it's like something that can be done at any time is done at no time. And then the more time that goes by, the worse you feel. And so then you feel like the letter has to be better and better and better. And so then the stakes are rising and you're just feeling worse. Whereas if you're like, I'm going to answer every email from this person within three days, or I'm by the end of the weekend, I'm going to have responded to this, then it, that can kind of take the pressure off of you because you just know that you're going to have to deal with it before too much time has gone by. Yeah. And when she's in this situation and all these days have gone by, I'd say own it at the beginning and just say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I haven't responded. Yep. I wanted to take the time and, uh, you know, of course, then the time got away from me, you know, yes. and just own it. And then people are very forgiving. They are. Yes. No. And, and, and yeah, I think that's a great thing. Just explain how you feel. And then the other thing is, you know, this is one of my favorite secrets of adult is, which is don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And don't feel like it has to be such a thoughtful, like she sounds, she sounds like she really wants to really capture a level of gratitude, admiration, and love. That's a really, that's a high bar. Mm-hmm. So maybe just say like, I want to write it. I want to write a great response, but it it doesn't have to be the perfect response because, you know, the imperfect letter that you send is better than the perfect letter you never send. And so just, you know, so much of it is just somebody knowing that you're thinking of them and, 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 and valuing that relationship. So like not to expect that it's going to be just a masterpiece because, you know, you've got a lot of relationships, you've got a lot of demands on your time. It, it's, it, you don't, don't, don't expect that it, it's going to be a masterpiece. Great advice. And thanks again for that question, Rochelle. I think many of us deal with this, so it's good to be reminded that we should just respond and not put so much pressure on ourselves to write the perfect note. <laughs> okay, Elizabeth, it's time for demerits and gold stars. You are up with this week's demerit. Okay, Gretch. My demerit is that I did not watch the Olympics much at all. I mean, I watched maybe about 10 minutes of the Olympics. I get the same demerit then. You do? Yeah. I had every intention because I thought, oh, it'd be so fun to watch the Olympics with Jack and get all into the gold medals for the U.S. and you know, hear everybody's stories. And um, I don't know, I just didn't get into it. My thing about the Olympics that I don't like is I don't like to see people lose. And you know, you've, you know, that they've worked so, so, so hard. Mm. So I find it and that's just sort of inherent (laughs) in the Olympics. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it is part of it. Yeah. Well, I feel like I lost out on this opportunity to be part of, you know, the national conversation. Like everyone's all, it's like when everyone's excited about the World Series, it's like if you're not taking part in it, then you're missing out on this, you know, zeitgeist experience. Yeah, well, you can you can watch the Oscars with everybody in the world and share the zeitgeist then. Maybe you're just not an Olympic zeitgeist person. So you, you, you'll pick your, you pick a different moment to, like, engage in the international conversation. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, you gave yourself a demerit, but I'm going to give you a gold star. And I'm also giving a gold star to dad. So this is like a double gold star. Um, because a while back... 
Um, I just was thinking about it. I was remembering the summer and thinking about how you deserved a gold star because in the middle of what is basically, for most people, the summer is kind of a quiet time. But for you, the summer is a very intense work time. And um, Eliza, Eleanor, and I came to Kansas City, as we do every August, and you and Jack came for the weekend, and so we overlapped. So you were with mom and dad for an extra day, and then we all got to overlap. And so you made that effort to come from L.A. to Kansas City at a time where I know it was, like, super hectic for you. And it wasn't a long visit, so it's sort of like, you know, you got to pack up your bags and get your ticket and get to the airport and all that business. Um, but you made the effort um, to well, come. And so... Yeah, I think you get a gold star for that because it was really, really fun. And even though you weren't there for long, it, it felt very different that you were there. And um, it was great for the cousins to see them to see each other. Yes, Jack was desperate to see his cousins. <laughs> and this leads me to the other gold star, which is for Dad, which is an observation that he made very like in passing, but I've thought of it many times. And this was a good illustration because he said, when it comes to visits, frequency is more important than length. Mm. And I thought that was very clarifying because you were only there for a couple of days, but it was totally different from if you hadn't been there at all. But the fact that you were only there for a few days didn't matter very much. Like if you'd been there twice as long, I mean, it would have been great. But what was most important is that you were there at all. And I think he's right that frequency of contact you know, you don't have to, it, it would be, I think you were right not to say like, well, if we can't come for a week, like what's the point of like dealing with it? it there was right. actually a really big benefit that came from dealing with it. Yeah, it was a great trip. I'm so glad that we went and I thank you for that gold star. <laughs> Words of affirmation, baby. Yes. <laughs> Yes, as we've established last week, we both need words of affirmation. (laughs) And again, I will say this harkens back to our listener question this week, where it's like frequency is more important than length. That can go for emails, too. So, yes, 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 yes. Uh, Yeah, it doesn't have to be perfect and long. It can be short and sweet. Yes. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Wait, that's not it. I'm calling from home to leave a message for everyone. We totally forgot to mention that we have a live event happening at Seattle's Town Hall on October 13th. We'll have more details about the event on next week's show, but we wanted to make sure to mention it now so you can mark your calendars. Again, that's October 13th. If you want more info, go to slate.com slash live. All right, I'm going to hang up now and let the regular close of the show resume. Remember to try this at home. Try introducing a specific topic into a conversation and see if it's fun, if it works for you, if you get more out of your uh, your talks with other people. Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer, and double thank you yes. to her because she read us her beautiful wedding reading this week. Yes. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Kraft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like the show, tell a friend, subscribe to us on iTunes. And remember, I'm creating that PDF of some of the most popular and interesting wedding readings. So if you want that, you can just email me at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Just write like wedding readings in the subject line. Uh, You don't have to write anything else. And uh, I will send you a copy. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward.